little Susie Darkins uh, meets Calvin of comic strip fame at their bus stop uh, one morning. And Calvin's in a surly mood, and as he often does, standing there waiting to go to school, he's complaining about some project uh, his teacher assigned them, which he does not want to do. And Susie offers him what she thinks is a bit of sage advice. It's not her own invention, but a tidbit she's picked up in her short life. And she tells him, when life hands you a lemon, make some lemonade. Now, Calvin, being Calvin, replies, when life gives me a lemon, I throw it back at it and add some of my own. Now, you and I know the funny line there, don't we? Uh, it's Calvin's line and not Susie's. Uh, she's merely the foil used to set up Calvin's response. But we also ought to know that it is only funny in the comics. When we meet someone who really does approach life like Calvin, we meet someone who is not only deeply unhappy, but spreads his or her misery everywhere they go. The Susies of our world, on the other hand, are much more pleasant to be around as well as being happier in general. And uh, Susie's advice is it's not a bad way to approach life. I mean, lemon comes your way and you catch it, you squeeze the juice out of it, you add some sugar and water, you pour it over ice, and, and you have a refreshing drink which you can share with others. Of the two responses, Susie's is by far the superior one. And yet, it is light years behind the truth which we are considering today. That, that old saw which Susie quotes is essentially sub-Christian or pre-Christian or sometimes post-Christian. It represents the height of humankind reaches when, uh, when we're living. Well, maybe not at our best, for we never really quite even do that much. Sin is just too present in us, but as near to our best as we can come. And like humankind's brass rule, don't do to others anything you don't want them to do to you. That's not a bad thing. It just doesn't rise to the level. It really doesn't even come close to the golden rule, which says do to others the kinds of things you want them to do to you. Now, I suppose that these sub-Christian thoughts are contained within God's higher truths. Doing the kinds of things that you want others to do to you would necessitate not doing the bad things to them, not mistreating them. And so making... Lemonade is probably a good thing for believers to do as we're able to do it. As long as we remember, it fits into a larger context. And that context, you understand, is that as believers, we are not left to deal with whatever it is that life sends our way all on our own. We're not abandoned. We're not orphans. 
The God we serve is not a clockmaker God who has wound up the universe and walked away. Rather, he is intimately involved in our lives, and though we may not always realize it, he walks with us all the way through this life until we finally come home. When things come into our life, which we can make lemonade out of, we probably ought to do it. And yet there are a whole host of other things which we can come our way that are beyond our meager efforts, things which take the power of God, if any good is ever to come out of them. But then that is the very thing we're promised, you know that? That God will somehow, at some point, bring good to us, no matter what happens in life. And that promise is found in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to ask you to join me there once again. Romans chapter 8, we'll have the passage up on either side of me. And we're going to be considering just one verse this morning. We're going to be looking at verse 28. Now, I've mentioned several times, really, that this passage is often misunderstood and misapplied. See, there have been times when a person in a hard situation has unintentionally been hurt by another person who's trying to offer insight or comfort to them, and they quote this particular passage. But instead of helping it, it feels often to that person like a hammer blow. You know, even translators are sensitive to this issue and they try through their work to communicate what is at the heart of this word to say what it means and yet kind of avoid the misunderstandings so you see different bible versions saying this in different ways and and i have to tell you i think they've done a pretty good job of in, in the process, most people reading the more modern translations like the ESV or the NIV would do pretty well with understanding what's being said here and would be less likely to misapply it. But for our purposes today, we're going to look at our passage in its more raw form, uh, the way it was written, with all of the possibilities to misunderstand what's being said. But we're going to do so... Um, in its context, both the immediate setting and maybe the broader perspective of the Word of God. So that maybe we can really understand what the Scripture, what this verse is actually saying while avoiding the pitfalls at the same time. Now, in, in this particular case, it's not always so, but the King James Version best captures the original Greek which Paul used when he wrote this letter. And so I'm going to read that from the King James Version. It says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now that's our text for today. It is a truth which is meant by God to bring hope to his people. Now, I have to tell you that just about every other translation out there adds one word to this passage, and that word is God. Uh, The word God already appears elsewhere in the verse, but they add one more reference to him in order to make something clear. 
And if we were to add it to the King James, it won't be up on the screen. You just have to listen to me. But if we were to add it in the same manner these other translations do, this is the way it would read. And we know that God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them that are called to his purpose or according to his purpose. Now, you're adding that one word to the passage makes a good deal of sense and for two reasons. First, and most importantly, the context demands it. Everything we read here in this part of the scripture is about God's work and the life of his people. And we would indeed, I think, have to be dull not to realize that God is the mover behind these events. He causes them somehow at some point in time to do good to us. And secondly, reason itself tells us it ought to be there. You know, no follower of Jesus Christ or Old Testament saint has ever thought, if they are thinking truly biblically, that the things which happen in our world today all by themselves had any inherent purpose other than just being what they are. Now, before the fall, the universe was indeed designed to constantly bring good to humans with, and if you know that account in Genesis, uh, some work on our part. (laughs) But since sin entered the picture, everything now is thrown in disorder. And so you can kind of think about it like a car. If you've ever purchased a new car and you get in it and you drive it, you know how nice it drives. I mean, it doesn't just smell nice, but it drives nice, you know. And and you drive that thing for a while and and maybe the tires start to wear down or you hit a pothole and a couple of the weights fall off the tire and it goes out of an alignment, right? And so now this car that used to drive so nice is always trying to pull one direction or the other and you're constantly having to correct for it, constantly having to fight it and keep it on the road where it belongs. Well, uh, that's something like what God does with this universe. It doesn't work quite the way it was supposed to. It's the broken things of this world, and he takes it and he guides them and still manages to use them. Uh, He takes those broken things uh, that, that have no purpose of their own and which, if left to themselves, would merely wreak havoc in your life. And somehow, he makes them work in our favor. So, it's God who is the actor, the mover in this passage. Now, it's been said, rightly so, I think, by some, they pointed out that God takes all of the things which come into our life, not just the individual events, and works those things together to bring good to us. So it's not just the lemon, but it's the sugar and the water and the ice which makes the lemonade. And most of us might like cake. Some of us, too much maybe. But anyway, uh, we... When we want cake, we want it all put together and cooked, right? If someone offers you a piece of cake, we really don't want him or her to hand us bags and boxes of ingredients. We want it all put together 
and the baking soda and the flour by themselves, well, they aren't very appealing. They're, they're easily enough passed by, right? But combine them in the right proportions and with other ingredients and cooked at the right temperature for the right length of time, well, that's good eating, isn't it? And yet those things which by themselves don't taste very good are necessary. You can't leave them out and still have a cake, right? And I have to tell you that as far as that goes, I think that's helpful in understanding this passage. God takes all the things in our lives and somehow, at some point, he works them together for good. Now, we acknowledge that we may not understand in this lifetime how that all fits together, but we trust our God. But I, there's more to say here, I think. I feel like if we were to stop right here, our argument, while valid, um, might seem a little trite. Some of them might think we've really kind of sidestepped some of the harder problems. So we need to go a little bit deeper. So when it comes to the things of this life, this passage is one of, or supposed to be, one of the most hopeful. We know good is our destiny because of God's work. He, he brings good to us, and, and he does so even with the bad things. But we can misunderstand or misapply this truth. First, I have to tell you, it's muddled thinking when we say all things in themselves are somehow good. That is not biblical. Not only are we in error when we think that way, but our error often causes grief to others. And then secondly, when people use this passage to try to explain for someone why some bad thing has happened to them, their misunderstanding makes it seem as though our God is some kind of a cosmic sadist. People wonder, how could God do something like that just to bring good out of it? You know, in both of these ways, people demonstrate an underdeveloped understanding of both God's work and word in our world. It is a complete or uh, incomplete understanding of God's work because he created, you know this, don't you? He created a real world with real possibilities for both good and evil. And this life we live is the life. There's no rehearsal. So he made this world real with real possibilities for good and evil. And although God, as he works in our world today, can and sometimes does intervene, and I have experienced that personally in my life, and I've seen it where God intervenes in some miraculous way, he simply cannot always do so, or the world ceases to be a real world. It's not that he doesn't have the power he most certainly does. But to always intervene would be to use his power to counteract his design and his purposes. As though God were somehow conflicted or confused, which is most definitely not the case. 
And see, when God created this world, he made this world to operate according to his design, which included even how it would operate once sin entered our world. I have to tell you that almost certainly those times when God does intervene in a miraculous way probably has to do with someone's eternal state. Maybe not the person who was on the receiving end of the intervention, but someone who sees it or hears about it. We, we need to think clearly about God's work in our world. And then, too, the Bible is very clear that God never does evil that good may come from it. He is not tempted by evil, nor does he ever tempt anyone. All his ways are righteous and just and good. The Bible says he is a rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Another place, the works of his hands are faithful and just. Still another, we're told, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. And finally, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. We have to know that, that someone whose child is murdered would not call that a good thing. God would agree with them in their assessment. He would not call it good either. Nor did God cause that evil to happen. The evil things that come into our life sometimes come into our lives because of our own evil action. Sometimes because of the sin of others. Sometimes because we live in a real world where there are real consequences. And we ought to careful about blaming God for all of those things. But I will tell you what God does do is he takes that tragedy and working it together with other things in our lives, he somehow manages to bring good out of it. He's also, and this is really pretty important, he's glorifying by it as he accomplishes his person, his purposes. So the pain of these things is real and it's lasting at least for this lifetime. But then you understand this lifetime is not all there is. The context of this passage is eternity and this life with all of its joys and all of its tragedies is just part and really very small of our life and eternity. A new day is coming for the believer when all of our sorrows will be turned to joy, when all of our tears will be wiped away. An eternity is coming without pain or sorrow or suffering or death, and there won't even be any more goodbyes. How I'm looking forward to that day. In the meantime, God walks with us all through all such things. We are never alone. We may feel like it, but we are never alone. God is always right there by our side. And we trust him. 
we believe he will take even those things which break our hearts and bring good out of them. I have to tell you, there's a purpose in all of this. It's not just that God allows these things into our lives, but he has a reason for it. And our text points us to that reason when it tells us that we have been called according to his purpose. God's purpose, the reason he calls, is first for all people to come to Christ. Now, I have to tell you, it doesn't force anyone, and many people refuse to come. But God is calling. And secondly, for those of us who, who do come to Christ, God's purpose is that we become more like our Savior. We, we saw that two weeks ago. Verse 29 tells us we are predestined to be conformed to the, to the image of his Son, to his image. And all the things we go through, both the good and the bad things, combine to make that happen. I have to tell you, God's immediate purpose in our lives is not to make us happy, but rather to give us eternal joy. And the joy which comes to others through us is also important to him. There's a point in my life has been uh, quite a number of years ago. I, I've shared this with you before, but um, I went through a really difficult period in I really despaired of life. I told you that I was on the verge of um, ending my own life. I had gotten involved in a in a church that taught uh, another Jesus and another gospel, and and it had a different spirit than the one that I had first uh, met when I came to faith. The Jesus of that church, well, you just couldn't get mercy or grace from him. He would not forgive you. And I lived under this condemnation. I wasn't sure if I was saved or if I was lost for eternity. It was an awful time in my life. But God did something through it. You see, I had learned from the previous church I'd been in to be very judgmental and condemning. I'd see your sin in a moment and I'd tell you all about it. So God let me for a period of time feel what it was like to live under that judgment and condemnation. And then he changed my heart. He changed me. I, I am today not the same person I was then. I remember telling good friends of mine that I wouldn't wish what I went through on my worst enemy but I would not trade what God did in my heart through it for anything in the world. And then at some point, God helped me to see something. I realized that the very thing that I would not wish on my worst enemy, I would wish for my best friend if it produced in them the same good fruit as it did in me. God took something bad in my life and combined it with other things and caused good to come to me through it. Now, we're almost at the end of our lot of time together, but, but I need to ask and answer uh, for complete listen, clarity this question. Who is his promise for? 
I mean, God makes this promise to someone. Just who is that someone? Now, we've already stated that right from the beginning that this promise is for the believer. It's for the person who has placed their eternal destiny in the hands of Christ. And this text tells us specifically the promise is for those who love God. I have to tell you, it's an unusual way for Paul, the apostle, to put things. Almost every time he talks about something like this, he talks about God's love for us. But here he highlights our love for God. And there's a reason for that, I think. I think Paul is, for the moment, turning our eyes off of uh, an attention, off of God and his love for us to our love for God. And, And I think he does that so that we'll ask ourselves, if I really do love God, what does that look like? Especially when I face the hard things in life. Yeah, it's easy enough, isn't it, to love God, to trust him when things are going good. But if I really love him, should my circumstances, as bad as they may be, change that? We, you and I, we are the ones who love God. And that love helps us to trust him. You know, this passage really has nothing to say to those who hate God or those who are indifferent to him. Uh, Unless, maybe, it's to challenge them to reconsider their position. Otherwise, they really are merely pieces in the vast array of a... We can only call it a machinery. Which turns along mindlessly and without purpose, crushing some parts while pushing others to the top of the heap where their position is... Fleeting and tenuous at best. There's no advocate for such people. No one who takes their part. No one to manipulate or change the working of that machinery in order to do good to them. No one watching out for them. Now, some people might say, well, that's the price a person pays for not loving God. But I'm not comfortable in leaving it there. I have to tell you that even though you might not love God. God loves you. In fact, the only reason anyone anywhere, including every person in this room, ever loved God is because he loved us first. He, the God who made you and everything else, wants that relationship with you where he can be your advocate, where he can work all things together for your good. God's not the problem here. It's you. You're the holdup. You're the one holding out on him. He's calling you, and you continue to ignore him. And in the meantime, life just grinds on and on, and who knows what might come our way next. But if you answer his call, you may go through hard times. But no lasting harm can come to you. And good, pure, full, complete, overwhelming, and never-ending good is your destiny. All because of God. Those who love God are those God loved. 
his love for us is real, and we see that, and our hearts change. We may have been different in indifferent to God or we may have felt as though we hated him in some way maybe for some bad thing that came into our life and all of us were running from him but his love can change us and so we can really love him in closing I, I just want to point out that God knew because of the brokenness, uh, our brokenness, and the brokenness of our world, that bad things would come to us. But you need to understand something. He made sure that the worst of all of the evil fell on his son. Jesus didn't deserve the evil that befell him, but he endured it to the end for our sakes and for the glory of the bad things come into our life, we can remember him and his sacrifice to love for us. We can try to make lemonade <laughs> when, uh, when we can, but for those things that are beyond us, we can trust God who has the power to take them together with all of life's other things and make good come to us matter what happens God brings good to those who love him and he makes us more and more like Jesus Christ and that is really good news would you pray with me please we know we have an advocate word tells us that our Savior who died on that cross is now our high priest who ever intercedes for us and we know Father that you are working in our lives and in the circumstances that surround us to accomplish your good purpose help us Father to trust you and to love you 